This Memorial Day, we want to take time and recognize those servicemen and women who've made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Two Brothers Talking wants to dedicate this episode to all our fallen soldiers. Thank you for listening to Two Brothers Talking. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, and Overcast. Be sure to give us a like and a follow on Instagram and Facebook under at Two Brothers Talking or Twitter at Two Brothers 2020. Do you know what I feel like eating right now? What's your favorite kind of taco? uh fish probably fish they have really good fish fried tacos fried they i think i think don't quote me on this i think they have grilled too uh if you aren't feeling the fried carne asada tacos pastor tacos any kind of taco um that is delicious wicked taco has and if you go down to wicked taco they're in the foothills a local business support local at the same time, get yourself a nice discount. Just talk to anyone at the counter. Talk to Lucy, the owner, and say, hey, I've been listening to Two Brothers Talking. You'll get 10% off. They're open uh, Monday through Friday right now. You can check out their hours uh, and location, their full menu on Facebook under the Wicked Taco or on their Instagram, Wicked Taco Yuma. Support local businesses. They're the salt of the earth, and they're what makes our local economy kind of churn. So give them a shot and have some good food while you're at it. So today we're going to be talking about us. We've put together a list of what we wanted to ask each other, and we haven't seen these lists. So if you're going to get our unfiltered and real-time reactions, and I promise not to edit out, edit out anything unless uh, I sneeze or we hear a, a dump truck coming by, something like that. So you ready? Welcome to two... That's part of my response. I heard the... <laughs> Welcome to Two Brothers Talking... Uh, this is Israel. This is your first time listening to us. Thank you. If you're returning, we appreciate you. Make sure to subscribe on the channel that you're listening to, um, the sound medium, so that way you get the most current and recent up-to-date episodes of the podcast. All right, so I'll let you kick it off with the first question, Eli. Sure. All right, so uh, I tried to think of what kind of questions could I ask that would get perhaps some in-depth response, get you thinking a little bit, and then I'd put one in here just, just for kicks. Uh, so it, I wanted to choose a, a good first question that I, I felt would uh, kind of start us off with some insight into kind of uh, some deeper parts of who we are. Uh, so uh, knowing that, of course, you're a father, uh, you have a, a beautiful little baby girl. Uh, one question I wanted to ask was, how did your world change when you had a baby? That's a good one. Hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways so first you always get those um you know comments uh from lots of folks so you know you're not gonna be able to do that when you have a baby or or just wait till you have a kid and that always kind of um part of me it was it was irritating because uh, you know there were certain things that i planned to do as a dad um or as a parent that I knew wouldn't change, and they haven't. Um, like, you know, standards and principles and uh, things that I was taught as a kid that I wanted to teach my daughter, um, and those continue. So that didn't change. But then the other half, um, like, oh, no sleep, and, you know, and all all the all the things that, that other parents thought were, they were helping with, but they really weren't, um, by saying, oh, you know, you're going to get any me time, whatever that is. Um, or you know, there goes date night, things like that. And so, um, 
the main thing that's changed is parents don't say that to me anymore because I'm a parent now. <laughs> but the other half things is, you know, it doesn't so change in the sense where there's another life that I'm responsible for. Um, and I never knew I could. So you love your wife a certain way and there's no one else that you'll love the way you love your wife. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's another, there's another kind of dynamic when, when there's a, a baby, um, it's this like instant love that, and this desire to protect that I've never felt before, um, at that, in a, in an instant, right. With Lily, we grew, you know, we were friends and that love grew but with the baby it's almost instantaneous at least it, you know it was for me when i saw my daughter um because after the nurse excuse me the nurses um you know pulled her out um you know of the doctor's hands and um they were wrapping her they handed her to me um, and so it was just like it was three in the morning i want to say two in the morning and lack of sleep you know, Lily was in labor for five days, but none of that mattered because I was holding Lana, you know, and so that definitely changed. Um, my, I felt like my capacity for patience changed a lot. So, um, you know me, I was never really a patient guy, um, but with kids, they, they try your patience, some in good ways and others, you know, they're learning, they're growing, so they're going to misbehave in certain ways. Um, so that really had to help me understand that I'm dealing with I, not an adult. I'm not dealing with someone that knows what they're doing. I have to teach them yeah. everything. My wife and I, we have to teach them right from wrong. We have to teach them, you know, um, how to eat, how to how to drink, you know, how to get dressed, how to go to sleep in, in your own bed. And so that, that changed, you know, the selfish ability for me and my wife at the time to just pick up and, hey, we're going to go off for the weekend. That changed because now we got to take into account where's Lana going to, you know, when she, especially when she, she was younger, what is she going to be at? When is she going to be able to eat? You know, is when she was on the bottle, did, is there a microwave around where we can make, make the bottle and make sure it's warm? So we looked at, started looking at ways to keep bottles, you know, warm and fresh. And um, so your life, at least my life, really changed when. Our daughter was born from a more uh, relaxed uh, approach to life to more responsible um, in terms of planning ahead, planning for the future, making sure that uh, financially I'm making the right decisions even more because before it was just me and my wife. So, you know, a lot of things we could we could do with our, our money that was um, because it was just two people. But now there's a third, and so we got to take into account long term. I want her to go to college if, if that's something that she'd like to do. So now I got to take that into account, saving for her future college education. So that way, um, you know, we could bless her with that when she, she decides, if she decides she wants to go to college. Um, now we got to take into account are we going to do a quinceanera like our tradition accounts for, or a sweet 16, you know, um, college graduation party things like that. So that all changes, you know, the mindset uh, and savings accounts definitely change before you, I'm saving for, you know, a really expensive AR. Um, now I'm saving, you know, for my daughter's future. And so uh, that was a, I mean, a lot more has changed in terms of, you know, what I watch, you know, my daughter has her favorite shows. <laughs> and so 
I, I, I know you can attest, me and Lily know the songs and <laughs> some of the dialogue to most of the Disney movies. Disney Plus, I think we've watched that front and back several times. Um, and so it, that changes because I would always, I would, you know, if I'd see Dora the Explorer on, I'd be like, oh, oh my gosh, like turn this thing off. But now I find my, I mean, my good thing, my daughter doesn't like Dora, but things like Tangled and, uh, you know, uh, Toy Story, she's an absolute, you know, in love with Toy Story. So we watch all four of those on repeat and in Frozen 2, I never thought my daughter would be, you know, into that or you know we'd be having that on on the, in the background and i find myself singing the frozen songs and um and i love to sing them and so olaf is great he's the best out of the frozen uh, ensemble uh but yeah things like that changed when she came around for sure nice that was a good question <laughs> uh so you know most of our family and the audience we talk about it sometimes you, you teach right you're you facilitate learning. That's what you do for a living. That's one of your passions. What made you want to teach? Was there a teacher that you had that really inspired you or what was it? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think I might have always had like a, a little bit of a desire to teach in me. Uh, I, I don't think it really came out strongly until uh, when I was younger, I was a emergency substitute for local school district, as you know. Um, and in being an emergency substitute, you have to, of course, you know, they do extensive background checks. You can't just be some, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. You have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're going to be helpful. They do a bunch of interviews. It's a pretty extensive interview process. Um, there's a lot of stuff you have to make sure is, you know, in place. And while I was a substitute, there were certain days uh, where it was just, uh, really impactful work where you'd have a kid that has been told by all the teachers. I mean, you'd, you'd unfortunately hear a lot of negative comments from teachers and like, uh, uh, you know, teachers lounges and stuff where they're frustrated with certain kids or, you know, that they're struggling with, you know, trying to get re like reach and get to, uh, you know, certain kids. And so when you have them in your class, you'd kind of, you'd see that on them. You almost see the kid kind of wear that badge of like dishonor where it's like, I'm, I'm difficult to teach or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get Knowing what I know, and even what I knew then about you know teaching and facilitation, uh, I would you know go out of my way to reach these kids. I would go out of my way to to make sure that everyone gets it, but also that they get it. they're really taking part in the learning. And I can remember uh, two. I think of the biggest times that uh, really hit me the hardest was the first time when I saw a kid that like pretty much all the teachers had written off that he was you know unteachable. He just wasn't going to get it. Uh, and I spent maybe five minutes with just him after the class was working on a project. And he wasn't quite understanding it. So I, I explained it a different way. And I kind of had him uh, follow me with what we were doing in an activity. And then I saw the very moment he got it. Uh, and he, he, it's just like his whole world changed. Uh, because for the first time in, you know, who knows how long, he understood what was going on. He understood what we were trying to learn. And you can tell in, you know, the, his eyes, you can tell in his smile. And he just, he's like, oh, I get it. And it's just like a, a wonderful thing to see him, you know, this kid that everyone written off, just understand and to know that someone cared enough to take the time to teach him. Uh, and then, so, you know, that's the, that's the, like, if, if there's like a drug in teaching, that's it. <laughs> uh, seeing someone who doesn't 
like understand and who's been told they're not going to understand or something and see if they finally get it. Uh, and then on top of that, we had an English class I taught once where we went through poetry and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a decent fan of poetry. I don't like a whole heck of a lot of poetry. Uh, so going through, uh, this poem about a guy named Eli and a bucket of all things. Um, so I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, Oh, this guy has my name and he's talking about a bucket. So, uh, it was just, you know, an everyday class, nothing, nothing crazy. We just talked about the poetry. We talked about what I think it means, doing some investigative reading, things like that. Uh, and then I think it was like three months later, uh, I was at a, a get together for someone else. And the, like these, this family comes up to me and a little kid says, you know, that's, that's him. And the parents are like, Oh, really? And so, you know, we say hi and introduce each other and things like that. And, and like, this is our you know, son, but you already know him. And it's like, you're the one that told us about Eli in the bucket. And so like three months later from this one period, one day, you know, this kid remembers, you know, what I taught him. And I was, to, to me, it's, 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 it's really impactful to know that I can facilitate things in a way that make people understand when they may, when they might not otherwise have, and then kind of bridge that gap there. And then teach them something that they're going to carry with them. And if you can, like, if that's something you're passionate about, like, I, oh man, it's, like, it's really hard to get away from because <laughs> if, like, I really enjoy teaching because it's, it's such an impactful thing. It can be such an impactful thing. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard, you know, we have a friend that recently, you know, recently last year, um, got hired at the company we work for and you do the training facilitation, the onboarding. Um, and one of the things that he said was, man, Eli, I just love the way he puts things into perspective and the, he's like the best teacher. Um, and of course I've, I've been on the receiving end of some of the, 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 the teaching you give. So it's definitely something you were born with, man. Um, I've had plenty of teachers, obviously when you go through grade school, high school and college, you have different uh, and, and you always remember that one that really invests in you, that makes the impact. And so, you know, you can take that, you know, with you everywhere you go is you've made an impact in so many uh, kids' lives, man, a positive impact. And they're going to remember you forever. I still, my third grade teacher, he was, um, you know, Mr. Garden. He was something else. He got outside of the box and he made us feel important. He made us feel like we were what mattered in that, you know, in those hours we were with him. And for a lot of kids, they don't have that at home. You know, I'm grateful I have the parents that I have, but not everybody had that. And so I guarantee that you've made more of an impact than, than you can imagine um, by deciding to, to follow your passion and teaching. Thanks, man. All right, so I think it's my turn for a question again. I'm going to ask you the four fun one. I want to see your, your input on this one because I think this is a question a lot of people answer. Uh, if you could have one superpower, uh, what power and why? So this is top of my mind because we've been watching Smallville with and uh, Lily and I have been rewatching re it. So I've been thinking about that a lot. <laughs> I don't think I'd want X-ray vision. Uh, yeah. Just just because I mean that's all you have, and I mean if you could see something, you got great. But would you have the strength to stop it? No, probably not. Um, super speed is pretty cool uh, because you can get anywhere pretty fast. But so can a car. Um, so I I probably want to say uh, probably um, super strength. So like super strength, but without the kryptonite, like you know the, the um, downside. <laughs> yeah, 
because obviously, you know, there's different kryptonites. There's the blue that takes away Clark's power, the green that makes him, you know, fall to the ground in some episodes. Others, he's like, whatever, I'm going <laughs> to knock that out of your hand. The red that makes him bad. So obviously without the kryptonite, I'd like the, the super the super strength. Um, just so like I can do things like around the house, like change a fan. I mean, obviously you know, some guys are a lot, you know, better at that but like you have to balance that and still maintain you know keep that fan you know from falling things some small tasks that 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 usually take two people that super strength yes i wouldn't need it but it helped me just do it by myself you know yeah. not have to pay someone to come around and do it uh, <laughs> so i don't know things like that if if the car needed to charge change i could just lift it instead of getting a jack you know i don't know things like that for sure. I could pick up Lily and Lana, you know, at the same time. And they'd, they'd both be happy. So that's a plus. <laughs> so when you met Eva, right, you met in high school, how long after did you know you wanted to marry her? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, man. So uh, for those who don't know, my wife's name is Eva. Uh, we met in high school. Um the way she tells it, she had a crush on me in high school. Uh, I did not <laughs> reciprocate those feelings for some time. So uh, she was a year ahead of me. So my senior year was uh, without, like it was, it was sans Eva. There was no Eva around. Uh, but since I graduated early and then at the end of the year, shortly after I graduated, um, the motorcycle accident happened. So I couldn't do a whole lot of walking around. Eva and I started actually being around each other at the kind of the turn of the year, the next year after I graduated. I want to say probably around that early summer, because we were friends for some time before, like at least a little while. I, I think friends are is a great way to start a relationship. I'm not going to get into like, you know, here's how to do your relationship in this question. <laughs> uh, I think my wife and I have done it the right way, and I think we could you know, help some folks out. Uh, but you know, we were friends first, uh, and we didn't have any kind of like, oh man, you know, I need, I need that person in my life kind of juice going on. Uh, but we were friends for some time. And then, uh, I, what I, what attracted to me first was her character. Uh, and I, and I have to say that's probably, I think one of the best things to be attracted to first was her character that, you know, I, I had people in my life that were, uh, kind of toxic that were, you know untrustworthy, more responsible, things like that. So um, it, it came to a point where I kind of recognized that, you know, she's not like that. She's got these, all these great qualities. Uh, and then one day just hit me and said, you know what? She's really pretty. <laughs> she's, she's really pretty. Uh, and so when it all kind of came together, um, it, it, it just kind of, I don't know, took shape. And I was like, you know what, that, you know, that would be a really, really good, uh, good way to go. I, I think she would be, someone that I would be honored to marry. I, it, was, it was much less like, oh, is she worthy, you know, to be my wife? And I think a lot of people approach marriage that way, where it's, it's less, you know, am, am, am I ready for a relationship? Less, am I ready to be a husband? It's more, oh, man, I want that wife, but is she good enough for me? Uh, and with it was the other way around. It was, you know, could I make myself good enough to be a husband? Could I make myself good enough to be her husband? Uh, and I think a lot of people look at marriage the other way. They're kind of in reverse where they don't think about, am I worth marrying? Uh, they think, you know, 
are they worth being my spouse? So I, I sat down, you know, uh, with her, her father over breakfast at a very public restaurant <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a lot of people around just because I was that nervous and that scared. Smart. Yeah. Uh, and I, I laid it on the line. I was, I, I said, uh, you know, I would like to pursue a relationship with your daughter. Um, what would I need to do? Because I knew already I wasn't ready for uh, marriage yet. And that was my end goal. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not one for uh, short-sighted relationships. And I wasn't at that point where I was like, I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to date and see how it goes. I, I basically at that point had determined, you know, I want to marry this girl. Uh, so I said, I, w- I would like to pursue a relationship with your daughter. What do I need to do to become the kind of man you would give your blessing to? Because I knew I wasn't going to get it right then. Uh, and then it took a while. It took some work, but he was, he was open. He was honest. And he said, you know, there's some things I see in your life that we need to work on. Uh, and if you're willing, I would like to help you work on those things. So it was a really good kind of couple, couple, uh, years of work after that. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say probably like halfway through the year after I graduated high school, after a good time of friendship. Yeah. I mean, we saw it instantly. Um, for sure. Like our, our group of circle <laughs> that were friends that we had, you know, there was, you know, the people say the sparks or whatever. Uh, but it was more of like this admiration that we, we saw in both of your eyes when you guys looked at each other. It was not like, oh, hey, how you doing? Kind of look. It was like a mutual respect. And it was just like, you'd look at her, you're like, man. Like, when she talked, like, man, she's, you know, she's smart or whatever. <laughs> uh, and then she'd be like, you know, looking at you like, that's a good dude right yeah. there. So uh, we might have known, I mean, that you guys both – liked each other before you guys knew i don't know sometimes trends can tell you know before we even start thinking about those kind of things you know if you're especially if your mind's not on it if you're you're not looking for a relationship your, your friends can probably pick up on those things before you even start thinking about it so that's pretty cool awesome <laughs> good question all right next question for you sir uh what are you most proud of in your life that's um I'm, I'm digging deep man we're going like yeah. 60 minutes here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny because i mean a lot of folks can instantly think about the things that they're not proud of even the mistakes we made and things like that but thinking about what you're most proud of gosh i huh <laughs> as you can tell we did not see these questions so this is me thinking um i think i'm proud of making my dad proud so the other day you know he just we were sitting in the car and he said you know what son i'm proud of you and i'm like it was one out of the blue because we weren't talking about anything you know serious we were just kind of just talking and uh, you know he's when he said that so i'm like hmm you know at that time i didn't ask why um but when we got home, Lily, you know, was we were talking about it, and uh, she said, you know, I'm proud of you too. And so I took that opportunity. I said, like, okay, why? Um, and so she talked about, you know, the man I'm, I'm becoming, uh, which is a lot like my dad. Uh, and so for those that don't know my dad, his character is impeccable. Uh, he's one of the kindest people you will meet. He always will. He's always smiling. That's he's. Uh, 
you know, he wakes up with this, this joy and it's a fought for joy, right? That doesn't come naturally to us as humans sometimes, but he's made decisions in his life and on his, in his journey of faith that have helped him become who he has become because his childhood is, is, uh, we'll have him on the show and we'll let him talk about the kind of childhood he has. It'll put anybody that thinks they've had a bad childhood, it'll kind of knock it out of the park. Um, <laughs> He grew up in Mexico, so you can imagine the type of poverty and, and the things that he had to see. And so to become the man that he is, even despite his upbringing, you know, no father, um, see the murder at age five, just kind of give a picture of what his life was like. Um, that's that's pretty amazing to become the man he is. So to to say that, hey, I'm proud of you, and, and to say, you know, hey, you're becoming a lot like your father, Um that is something that I'm really proud of because that's something I've been intentional about trying to be less like, you know, everything I see, you know, in terms of the men that are held up on pedestals nowadays. Um, yeah. And more like people that are, are like my dad, right. Full of character, full of integrity to make decisions with their family in mind, to make decisions with, you know, their faith in mind to have that type of just character, you know, just if, if he says he's going to do something, you believe he's going to do something. I want, I want to be known for my word. I want to be known. And we talked about it the other day. And I think it was motivation that that's what motivates me. That's also what I'm proud of is, is, is other people being able to see that I'm becoming like my dad. I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, because then if I'm becoming more like my dad, then I'll be an amazing parent to my daughter and any future kids we have. I'll be an amazing husband to my wife because he sets the bar at the highest level for how he treats my mom, you know? Um, so yeah, that's what I'm most proud of right, right now. Nice. All right. So my turn, this one's more of a, a free, uh, not free one. It's a fun fact more. Um, so you've had a couple of different cars, you know, in your lifetime. Right, you've had the, the Firebird, the Fifth Avenue, um, the was it the Grand Am or the Trans Am? I don't remember. Grand Am, Grand Prix, Grand Prix. Uh, you've got your Fusion right now, the, the Pathfinder. Uh, which was the worst decision in terms of buying it that you've that you that you can say? You know what? This was the worst car that I've bought. I should have bought something else. So I think for that one, it's it's easily the Firebird um, because. <laughs> Uh, of a number of reasons, uh, which I'll, I'll kind of allude to a little bit. So to give kind of some backstory into why I had a Firebird, first and foremost, uh, I had a 19, I want to say 85 Firebird, uh, where uh, I had traded a wonderfully running GMC Sierra truck. Uh, I had a great big truck. I loved it. Um, and, you know, it was in great condition. Uh, everything was working well. and my family, a couple members of my family needed it so they could move back to a different state. Uh, and I traded my truck for this, you know, beat up old Firebird and $500. And I, I really did it because I wanted to make sure my family could uh, do what they needed to do, take care of their needs. Um, but in retrospect, I really missed my truck and I hated that Firebird. <laughs> Uh, because I mean, this old, this old car, uh, had been stripped out of all insulation because they were, I don't know, they were going to try and race it or something. I don't know. Um, but it had no insulation, 
which is not great when you live in a hot climate. We do. And it also had no air, <laughs> no AC. Anytime I would go across town or out, and at the time I worked in the foothills, uh, which is about a 15-minute drive from where I'd li- been living at the time. So even 15-minute drive, I would have to wear different shirts. So yeah. I would take a work shirt and a driving shirt. Uh, my driving shirt would be like filled with sweat by the time I got to work. So then I would go and I would change into my work shirt. Um, it had so many issues that Firebird. I mean, the, the transmission had issues when we took it apart. My dad and I, it turns out the clutch had been put in crooked. <laughs> uh, so we fixed the clutch. Um, the actual clutch pedal uh, had broken off. So we kind of jimmy rigged that to work. And like it was literally every two shifts, I would have to reach down and push the pedal back on. And I got really good at fixing it with one hand while I was driving. Also, like, it was really dangerous looking back. Uh, but yeah, that, that thing was just, uh, it was terrible. Um, you remember driving it. I mean, there was one time we kind of, uh, yeah, we, we drove uh, pretty quick because we found out that Evan had been in a car yeah. accident. So I, I, you know, lickety splitted us there pretty quick in that Firebird. And it, it handled pretty well for what it was. No, I like driving in it. I mean, in the summertime, yeah, it was hot. But when you're younger, you're a teenager, you're having fun. You don't really think about those things. Um, you're just glad to be there. That's, that's what I was. I was just glad to be there. <laughs> it was a good time, but yeah, no, I remember you having to like reach down and I'm like, what are you doing? We're going to, we're going to die. Um, and you having to fix the class. <laughs> All right. Next question for you. Uh, what is your next big aspiration? Like maybe not perhaps your, your biggest aspiration, but the next big aspiration for you. Ah, that's a, Another one. Um, so I'll go professional um, because I think my my personal aspirations, they're going to remain, you know, pretty pretty much the same for the next, you know, the long while just because it's going to take a while to become like my dad. Um, and be, you know, that's going to take work and consistency. So I'll go professional. Um, the next major aspiration for me is probably to so for those that, that don't know um i i was a leader um in my professional organization the company that i work for um for about two years uh, and then i had an opportunity to step into a um, sidestep so there's lateral moves which are moving over there's um, vertical moves where you get promoted and then of course there's demotions um and so i took a lateral move so meaning that i i moved within the same pay scale um into another role the role that i'm in right now uh for long-term planning so i saw an opportunity with a new part of the organization that i saw a future with um lining up with some of my own uh, strengths and long-term um, desires. And so that was seen, uh, as, by some in, in some circles as a step down because I would no longer be a leader by title, which you're always a leader, by the way. Um, that doesn't stop because your title isn't there. Um, it's important that you always act like it. Uh, that's yeah. an episode for another day. Um, so my aspiration is to step back into leadership in the title, um, uh, perspective because I wanted to take some time off from leadership, um, because that does take a lot out of your out of your um, personal life, um, 
and and my family and and so especially in the first year that my daughter I was four months when I made my, my I was four months my daughter was four months uh, when I made that decision so for the first uh, year and a half um, minus those four months I haven't been a leader and I felt like I've been able to be more present as an individual contributor so I'm, I don't no one reports to me I report to a leader uh, and I'm a part of a team so that has taken a lot of weight off my shoulders uh, intentionally. Um, because I wasn't responsible for anyone's development or anyone's career, anything like that. Um, so that takes kind of took a kind of what a weight off my shoulders. So my next career aspiration is now. I feel like I've I've learned a lot um, uh, at, from my leader. You know, he's definitely done a phenomenal job, and um, he listens to feedback and and whatnot. And so I feel like I've I've gotten to know the area of business I'm in for almost the last year. And so that's the next big step for me is to step back into leadership and assume that responsibility and balance that. So that's one thing that I, that I wanted to be sure I could do was balance leadership responsibilities because, I mean, for those folks that don't know, Eli and I are also leaders in our, our church organization, and that's we have a lot of responsibilities in that. Um, you know, it's not just one thing that we're responsible for. We oversee multiple teams and uh, various um, projects and so that's also something that that is is part of our lives and so that didn't go away you know when I left leadership in my professional organization I was still a leader in my church organization still the same responsibilities there um, and so I I now have a better understanding and a better idea of how I could personally balance being a leader in my pro- professional organization in my church organization you know being the a full, you know, a full and present father and husband that I need to be. So the next big step for me is to uh, step back into leadership for sure. Um, it's not only going to be good for me on a developmental level because um, there's going to be things that I've learned that I can apply um, how to be a better leader, how to be a good, be a better listener. That's something that I felt like I failed the first time around is is listening. Um, I've learned that through not only retrospect and prayer. Um, but also through seeing how that what that looks like through my current leader, he does a good job at doing that. Yeah, that's the next big step for me is, is stepping back into leadership in my new organization at, at work. Same company, yes. just a different part of the organization um, with the new perspective and new learnings for sure. Yes. There was a point in time where um, you wanted to you know join the military, which is certainly a, an a, a admirable uh, aspiration, but something um kind of took you out of out of those plans um kind of by force so can you talk about that day at the mall uh, with the truck and the bike and what that did to your long-term plans i wanted to be a marine i wanted to join the military uh, i have several family members that are either you know in one branch or the other uh, and in you know, uh, not so great turn of events. I went to uh, my local mall on my motorcycle. At the time, I had been riding a motorcycle because um, that was all I had to get around. Um, and I was going through what at the time uh, was an intersection with only two stop signs. Uh, and I was going through it. And someone who had a stop sign, they just started going. Uh, and, you know, uh, Event or essentially they they t-boned me, but I was on a motorcycle. If you ever seen motorcycle accidents, it usually ends with 
you know, some pretty bad ramifications on the side of the motorcyclist. So what ended up happening was uh, my right leg was uh, broken in a few places because the, the motorcycle, you know, had gone under the truck while I did not, meaning that my leg was between a motorcycle and a truck body. Uh, so my leg was broken in a few places. My ankle was crushed. Um, I was kind of thrown into the street. So I had some scrapes and bruises from that. Uh, and at that point in my life, I was very, uh, athletic. I was very physically, you know, capable. Uh, I, you know, wanted to join the Marine Corps and I wanted to make sure I was ready. So I, I'd been very, you know, adept at, at getting in, in shape. And I was, I was very physically capable, like I said. Um, so to go from that to, uh, essentially bedridden, right. I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand. Uh, it was, it was pretty impactful. Uh, and in regards to future plans, I like, I couldn't carry, uh, I was being told by doctors, you know, you're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna have a good time walking from now on. It's gonna hurt forever. Um, you know, they, they gave me the kind of a, do you want a prosthetic or do you want us to try and fix it? Uh, and so at the time I was like, well, I'm going to try and fix it. Like, let's, let's see if we can put it back together. And it came to, you know, a, a lot of the plans I'd, I'd made were, were no longer possible just due to the extent of the injuries. Uh, I couldn't carry heavy weights. I couldn't run anymore. Uh, and it was, it was pretty, you know, a, a hard thing to go through. Uh, cause you know, to go from all my, all my plans, all my best laid plans and, and just see all those kind of go up in smoke. Uh, I still wanted to at least, you know, go to a, go to a college or, or, you know, there's a college I was looking to go to and uh, stuff like that. But being that, you know, now I wasn't able to, you know, work, I wasn't able to make any money. And I was basically just, you know, in a wheelchair for you know, a while. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was rough uh, just to kind of, you know, all these plans that, you you know, you make just kind of go up in smoke. Uh, and. You know, I'd be lying if, if I didn't say that I didn't, you know, I wasn't affected for a long time after the fact, um, just because, you know, I always had that that kind of patriotic bone, uh, and I still do, uh, that wanted to serve, that wanted to, you know, go out and, and you know, give give of myself. And I think the unfortunate part is there's a stigma from for people who say, well, I want to join the military, but uh, most people are just like, oh, okay, they roll their eyes. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I was like, no, like really, like my leg was, like, was <laughs> I crushed. can't, they won't take me. Yeah. I physically couldn't. Um, so, uh, just, you know, looking back now, I, I see that, you know, I, I can still find good that came out of that a lot of good in fact. Uh, but it was still definitely one of those during the time and, and after it was, it was a difficult thing to, I don't want to say accept because it's not like I could not accept it and make it go back to normal. Uh, but it was a difficult thing to go through, uh, to go from physically capable to like, I couldn't even, you know, use the restroom without a lot of help. Uh, but it just kind of changed my direction, changed my plans. I, I still wanted to work. So, uh, as soon as I, the doctor said, yeah, you can get up and start working your leg. Like I started walking, I, I had a cane and I would walk up and down the streets. Um, I would, you know, I, I, I tried to speed my rehabilitation as quickly as possible. Uh, and then I just got back to work. I started, you know, had an old job at a grocery store, uh, eventually just, you know, got myself working until I was uh, as capable as possible. And then, you know, now my future plans are very different. Um, I, I definitely have, you know, uh, plans I would like to reach, 
Uh, it's just they're they're different plans, and I think that redirection was uh, was very beneficial, as hard as it would have been, or as hard as it was, you know, at the time. Yeah. Uh, and as as dark as things kind of looked, it was actually very beneficial. Like there was some there was some definite silver linings to that that very great cloud. Yeah, out of out of some of the darkest times, we we tend to get something that's pretty bright at the end of the tunnel. It was, I mean, I, I don't think we would have had the relationship because we spent that whole summer you were rehabilitating. I spent on your couch with you, or, you know, in in the pool at, at your apartments. We spent a lot of time, uh, so I don't even think our, our friendship would have been kind of developed. I mean, yeah, it sucked that you got hit by a truck, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate the time that we got to spend because you couldn't go anywhere, so you couldn't like, oh, I hate this kid. He's annoying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just kind of had to sit there, you know, because <laughs> you, you couldn't crutch, crutch as fast as I could walk. <laughs> just kidding. All right. So what is one thing that you want when you, so obviously I hope this is when you're like 120. When you leave this earth, what do you want to be said at your funeral about you? I think that's an easy one uh, because that, that thing, that's probably going to be the easiest uh, question we have here. Uh, I want it to be said that I was a good man and a godly man, uh, because I think those are the best legacies I can leave. Um, I, I'm very aware, uh, of when I do things wrong and when I have, uh, shortcomings, I, I, I'm very aware of that. I, you know, they always say like, you're your worst critic. And I, I think that's very true in my case where, I'm aware of everything that I do wrong, and I, I, I have a bad habit of writing myself for a long time when I do something wrong. Uh, and one of my biggest fears is to not have uh, a legacy that is, you know, worth remembering. Uh, so I would say if I had one thing that I want is to be remembered as a good and a godly man, uh, because you know that's that that's really thing, things that are going to matter. Um, I don't want people to be like, oh man, yeah, he was rich or yeah, you know, he, you know, he could really play guitar or, you know, he could, he could sing like, you know, an angel. Uh, that's like, those, those aren't the things that are really going to matter when everything's, you know, when everything's said and done. Um, but the lives that I've touched and the people I've helped, I think that's going to be the difference. Um, not that I was, you know, uh, an entrepreneur or um, that, you know, oh man, Eli, you know, he once made the sandwich that just blew my mind. Um, it, it's going to be, you know, hey, he helped me through a rough time or, you know, he, he helped me become a better man. Uh, and, he, you know, first and foremost, like he, he pointed me towards God. He pointed me towards uh, a better life and hope. Uh, and I think those are going to be the things that I want to say at my funeral, for sure. I'll definitely make sure that uh, definitely. folks are got their cue cards ready for you know i'm just kidding no I, <laughs> it has to I, be all i think i think <laughs> it can't be scripted i think you're definitely on your way to get to for that to be a, a natural you know for folks to to walk up and and say those things because i already see those things um happening in you and you're already a good man and a godly man and you're already pointing people towards god and so you're leaving a legacy that it'd be easy to talk about if you were to well not easy because we're gonna miss you uh right. but It'll be natural for us to be able to speak those words for sure. Yeah. So you're going to say, how many car accidents I've been in, man? It might be sooner or later. Crying all out. <laughs> this is a public announcement to everyone driving. Please stop hitting me with your cars. Please. Uh. <laughs>
All right, uh, last question for you, sir. If you could make, like, if you could just wave a magic wand and make one thing happen, what would that one thing be? Uh, for a coronavirus vaccine, for sure. Um, my mom, for those uh, who haven't heard previous episodes, she's uh, immunocompromised, and so she has uh, what they call interstitial lung disease, which is an autoimmune disease that affects the um, the lungs, the breathing, and so uh, her immune system is compromised. So anything from uh, a sneeze or a cough, it can affect her um, critically and fatally. And so that's why, um, if I had you know magic wand, it it may be for you know a, a cure, a vaccine for the coronavirus. Um, or now that I'm thinking about it, just to kind of make that all go away for her, for sure. Um, but if we had the, the vaccine, you know, she could go out more, uh, because she can't right now because we have to make sure that she's, she's protected. So she's at home in a bubble. Um, and that affects people. Um, she likes, you know, there's this restaurant that we absolutely love in California in one of the cities that we used to live in Downey. Um, and she's, you know, said, you know, I can't wait to go back there. And so things like that, she, she can't do, and we won't do because we'll compromise her by doing it. Um, and so probably if I had a magic wand, man, that's probably what I do is, is, is create the, the vaccine for the COVID-19. Yeah. Um, so not only people, you know, around the world that they could have that, but so that my mom can live the life she, she definitely deserves to be able to go out of her house, go to the store, um, go to church, you know, uh, go to her favorite restaurant, you know, in another city if she wanted to. Um, so yeah, that's, it'd have to do be something with my mom. If it wasn't that, it'd still be something with my mom for sure. That's a good question. Wasn't expecting any of them. Some curveball there. Blew me away. (laughs) 